1: Welcome to Script Shop, no, Top <laughs> Omaha.
0: No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Ah,
1: well, it's uh, another week here on the old Script Shop. Let me uh, sit down in my in my favorite Script Shop chair and put my feet up for a second. Ah, hey, everybody, Jack here with you
0: and Allison,
1: and uh, we have our. Who am I? Our producer Frank is here as well. Yes, I am. I'm sorry. I was blanking for a second just because I'm so darn comfortable <laughs> oh as we settle in for another interview <laughs> with a writer about their work. That's right. And I'm just going to chill out here because that's kidding. what we do here on Script Shop. We talk to writers about <laughs> uh, their work.
0: I like how your voice gets more comfortable as well. Yeah, I'm very comfortable The more right comfy now. you get. That's right. Well. Comfy Jack. Comfy Jack? This might be too- uh Ooh, this sounds like a whiskey brand. Comfy Jack. Drink Comfy Jack. It'll get Put you drunk. Put your slippers on. He's just- Remember when we had a picture of Jack? and his reading outfit which was like a wizard hat and You're yeah, you drew... No, l- l- that's l- the picture of we, you on your whiskey bottle. A
1: picture is very misleading to the audience. Allison drew a doodle with markers and said that was me. <laughs> it's not like somebody grabbed a photograph of me in my underwear with, had... un- with a wizard hat on. I
0: could not tell the difference.
1: Yeah, right. It was it was spot on. It had
0: freckles and glasses. Okay,
1: monochrome. It was like a blue marker on our. It was
0: blue.
1: Our... <laughs> you didn't get a picture of it. You drew a doodle.
0: But just because that wasn't a picture, doesn't mean that this version of you doesn't exist.
1: I'm afraid that this is too low energy of a start. Me being comfortable might not be that interesting to our listeners, so we should.
0: But you know what is interesting is you in your underwear wearing wizard's hats. Hi, everybody. This is read. our show where we talk to
1: screenwriters <laughs> about their uh, scripts, and it's a podcast we have here called Script Shop. We put it out every week. Welcome. That's right.
0: We love screenwriters and we love what they have to write. And uh, we actually super, super love getting to meet new people on this show and talk to them about why they wrote the screenplay that they wrote and why they're the only person. And the whole history of the universe who could have potentially, possibly, put all the words together the way that this one person did.
1: Our guest this week is Nicholas Jennings, who wrote a short called A Day in the End. That's
0: right. And the logline for this is a little bit different because I just have written that it's a seven-page end-of-days lost stories Story, a seven-page end of days lost story that covers a lot of ground in seven pages. <laughs> yes, it does. It does. It's so
2: good,
1: and it's very deliberate too. Like when when you say things like uh, "it covers a lot of ground in seven pages," that might imply that this is like a cram it all in. Here's this. Here's this. Here's this. Now this. Now this. No. It's extremely deliberate. It's very well the the it's pacing patient. on it. It's it's patient. It's a lot of times when people think of things that are deliberate and patient, they might think that it's slow, but it's not because Nicholas is building a thing and he's walking us through it and this is the yeah. story that he's telling. And I think it's very, yeah. very purposeful.
0: It's lovely. I can't wait to talk to him about it, yeah. actually. Yeah. So um, if you are a writer or you know somebody who's a writer and you'd like to you know, submit your work to be on the show, you can do that by going to com slash submit or you can look us up on Film Freeway.
1: Filmfreeway.com. You can send it to us that way, too. We would love that. And, of course, uh, if you do listen to the show and you would like to maybe let us know that you do, we'll uh, read your script sooner because we have uh, quite a few submissions that we're still going through. Yes, we do. Uh, But if you're a listener and you've written something and you want us to read it, if you uh, indicate to us the phrase that pays, hot burrito, we'll read your script sooner for consideration.
0: That's right. We love hot burritos.
1: Yes, we do. Who doesn't?
0: uh, Yeah, nobody. If you met someone that was like, no, I don't know, hot burritos, would you even want to talk to them?
1: Don't trust that person.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Don't trust
1: him. Uh, you're listening to us on the internet, which means we have a website, and it's called ScriptShopShow.com, which Allison talked about. We're also on things like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, uh, at Script Shop Show on all those platforms. Uh, you can find us, friend us, and follow us, and we would love that. We'd love to, you know, we tweet about stuff. We post things on Insta. We're IG famous in a very low-rent way, right?
0: Yeah, I would say in a very you, low You handle rent more with
1: the, with the Insta than I do.
0: Yeah. I mean, you don't handle you handle Twitter though. Your twittering is good. Your twittering.
1: Well, and also our Keith, our technical guy, our social media guy yeah, Keith, that handles Keith. stuff. And
0: he's on vacation again. Mm, yeah, he always is. I don't know. Um, and also, if you're online, you're gonna have to go to patreon.com because that's where you can send your reenies and roonies to help us fund the show. If you, and, yeah, we would love that in whatever ways that you can, and then we get to decide which ways we can too. So we've been doing this show now for a few years. And, uh... <laughs> yes, <but> that's <laughs> such
1: a weird thing to hear you say.
0: <laughs> Isn't it awesome? It's wild. It's so great. It's wild. So much has happened since we started the show.
1: And yeah, we've actually had some recent production meetings where we're talking about new things that we want to do and... Uh, that, that involves money sometimes. It so does, yeah. Keep us in your financial prayers, I suppose.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let's give a big thank you to the people who uh, support the studio space here.
1: Big thank you to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for letting us use the studio space here. That is a major part of the show, and uh, we could not be more appreciative of the fact that we get to use the facilities here to do said show. So thank you to Scott Reinhardt and uh, everybody at iHeartMedia Cincinnati for m- greasing the wheels and making that possible.
0: That's right, and all of our Patreon supporters, thank you, thank you, thank you for keeping us going thank okay. you frank
1: is that everything did we cover all the show, Biz? you got it let's get going yes yeah, let's get going let's, good let's stuff. talk to nicholas nicholas is waiting uh nicholas are you're in oregon if i'm not mistaken right
2: uh yes that is correct
1: how are in things a little
2: town called uh, pendleton oregon
1: pendleton oregon is that i mean i, I what's I'm, it like yeah what's yeah what is it like i don't need to know what it's near i want to know what it's like
2: well um it's it's small it's pretty secluded it's by a bunch of mountains, mm-hmm. and it's raining. It it's raining nice. in winter. It's always fun.
1: Uh, <laughs> have you lived there for long?
2: Um, well, I was born in Lincoln City, Oregon. And for 22 years of my life, mostly, I've lived in, P- in Pendleton. Um, so I didn't really get out that much mm-hmm. um, in terms of moving around. But for three years of my life, I did live in Eugene when I went to college. Um, and that's that's kind of... I haven't really been around a lot. So Well,
1: you're an Oregon dude. You I I'm, I'm an Ohio dude. It's I, I can relate to that.
0: Yeah. I feel like if I lived in Oregon I wouldn't leave. Really? Yeah. I just uh, you know, you just there's it seems that there's so much uh nature and wildlife mm-hmm. and gorgeous stuff and then like this whole West Coast frame of mind. I think I could be into
2: that.
1: hmm Nicholas, does that sound does that sort of sound familiar?
2: Yeah, it kind of sounds familiar, but like where I live, it's mostly kind of like um, a farming slash desert Mm -hmm. area. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of times when it comes to the media we consume, it's always like, oh, let's go to Portland and all that stuff. And yeah, Portland is pretty much the most popular city in Oregon. But like if you go east of that across the Cascades, it's pretty much a bunch of farmland and. Um, some mountains here and there as you get closer to Idaho, the mm-hmm. Oregon Idaho border.
0: That's neat. So it kind of sounds yeah. like you're a small town guy, then. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, love I would that. Say that. Yeah. yeah, I'm from a small town myself, and I have small towns just have a really sweet spot in my heart for sure.
1: So you you, you went to school in Eugene. You're you're an Oregon dude. Uh, what is it? Did did you go to school for uh, for writing for any kind of writing in general?
2: Well, I went to I went to college for actually filmmaking. Oh, great because filmmaking yeah. in general. Um, got my cinema studies degree in like three years, which was an accomplishment of in of itself because mm-hmm. I thought it would be there for four mm-hmm. or five. But um, you just love but, yeah. school
0: so much, you had to eat it all up. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I I pretty much ate it ate the whole buffet in terms of knowledge.
0: (laughs) Went back for seconds. That's what you do at buffets. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I guess not seconds if you don't have a second degree, but you might. He
1: just just had a lot of English there. He just kept going back for various English, (laughs) hot, steamy barbecue English, and then there was like the the, the crispy carving English, and there was a whole different, because he's a right. It's film study, so you got a bunch of different things to worry about. (laughs)
0: Lots of different wings. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Um, So when you graduated college, what happened then? Did you move back home did you start writing what, what'd you do
2: well at the time when I graduated I had a first act for a film not this one I had a first act for a film already completed and I wanted to try to finish it and as time went on as, as I came home after graduation I just kind of like fell off the wayside of that and tried to like you know find some job to do and I still haven't found a good sustainable job but mm-hmm. um, as soon as I got back around I want to say November, uh, one of my old high school friends hits me up and says, hey, you want to direct a movie? And I'm like, sure, sure, I'll direct a short film. And it just ended up being uh, The Interrogation, which is a short film we did. It made a little bit of a small festival run, one award win, two international festivals, Very which cool. is interesting in of itself because it's just so simple. It's a simple comedy sketch, but somehow it's just like, oh yeah, we'll just take it in Canada and New Zealand, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the, in the process of going in between projects, I've just been writing more and more on different, different topics and different ideas that I've had. And, uh, the last historian was one that was, um, that was just posed to me at some point.
1: Well see that's interesting because the idea that you're able to take things international and you've written what you consider to be a, a fairly simple straightforward sort of short but clearly there's some universal resonance there that people are able to enjoy uh, whether they're culturally familiar with you or not I think that's a, that's a really inter- that's got to be an interesting piece of encouragement as a as a creative type.
2: Yeah. I would say so. I mean when you think about a lot of the various you know films that have been released that have gone on to win such you know international appeasement there's a lot of universality between all of it Mm -hmm. you know you look at some of the more mainstream stuff like marvel or even in the past like with ghostbusters or godzilla or back to the future you know there's just certain things inside of the dna of the films that are that are put out there that appeal to everyone Mm -hmm.
0: or could be very current or relevant or timely or something like that Mm -hmm. when when did you start writing particularly um was that a big part of your coursework when you were in school
2: um, a, a little bit. Um, your second so you start off your first year, just learning the basics, media aesthetics, mise en scene, learning all the different language that you're supposed to be using when you're talking about films or making films in general. Your second year, you start actually making small stuff and you start with a sh- uh, short film writing. And there was this short, uh, short script I wrote. It's not this one either. Um, and I'm still working on this particular idea. But it's just like you have to write, I think, 15 pages or something like that. If I remember correctly, you have to write 15 pages of a script and it has to work from beginning to end. Um, and part of that was reading uh, Calgill's uh, writing short stories or writing short film. And you just it's, a, it's just a lot of coursework in that area. But then once you finish that, you go into advanced screenwriting, which is just to write at least the first act of a three act script, Mm -hmm. which hopefully, you know, over time you finish or maybe just learn the skills and just work on a different script, leaving the other one in a in a bookshelf somewhere. I don't know.
0: Well, there's always got to be pieces to growth. You know, one piece leads to another. Uh, stepping, baby steps. Baby, baby, step. baby, baby steps. Baby steps. Baby
1: stepping stones, maybe, because you, you, work on, you work on something for a little bit, maybe it gets put in the drawer and then you could come back to it if there's other bits of inspiration along the way. It's it's all stuff that's percolating in your head, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I, and about a couple of months ago, I looked back on my script, uh, that, that first act script, and I was looking through it, I was like, I don't know if this works. I think the main problem I have sometimes is I'm too much of a perfectionist when it comes to certain ideas, and it's just like I want it to be just perfect because yeah. because the subject matter of the thing I was doing is just very sensitive in terms of historical accuracy and what it's trying to portray. But, um, but yeah, that's that's the story on that.
0: So it kind of sounds like you're in this really big creative, not renaissance, but maybe space in your life now that you picked up directing this short film, and it's inspiring you to start writing all kinds of other things.
2: Yeah.
1: In terms of subject matter, uh, you talked about the, the interrogation being a bit of a comedy script, and then there was a historical thing you mentioned. Uh, a Day in the End that you sent us is a bit of a post-apocalyptic uh, kind of a character study, or a lot of landscapes involved. I'm just sort of curious if there's a certain kind of story that you tend to gravitate toward, or if there's just inspiration comes and you just need to, to get something written down.
2: Well, my philosophy when it comes to uh, stories I gravitate to is something that's more human. Um, I had a, I used to portray a character in high school called Spirit Man, and it was this concept that you know at the time it was just like oh it's just me being silly running around in a superhero costume in high school carrying a stupid flag and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But as time went on and I started reevaluating and looking back and you know conceptualizing and contextualizing everything of the past, I'm like the human spirit is in there at some point in my earlier life, there was more of a human spirit than I have at this point, or at least I've grown a bit. Um, And so a lot of the stuff I gravitate towards in terms of subject matter for the scripts I write is how does this define the human spirit? How does this define a, a subsect of what keeps us human?
1: Okay. And certainly in this script, it's, uh, in terms of interaction, there's not a lot of it because it's, it's a woman who's just sort of wandering and trying to piece together what the world is at this point. But I mean, certainly in terms of perseverance and the, the, the human spirit being able to weather all sorts of uh, difficulty, that's certainly a, a major theme in this. Uh, in some of the other things, is, is the human spirit that you're exploring uh, figured out in a different way, like with the interrogation that you mentioned?
2: Well, I mean, the interrogation was just kind of just this. I, did, I didn't really think of anything of the whole like it, it wasn't even my script. It, it was someone else's script that I just directed. OK. Mm-hmm. Um. But, I, you know, in terms of trying to make each other laugh, that's kind of part, you know, telling stories is also something that's very unique to humanity and whether or not it's very deep or meaningful or just there for comedy purposes, you know, there's there's not really a difference to me in terms of terms of what genre it is Mm -hmm. this interest in the
0: human spirit you, you know you say you've been writing and just kind of trying to take in how does this define the human spirit in terms of the events or activities that are happening is this something that you think about a lot in terms of like your growth from childhood to now and how your own spirit has been affected along the way
2: yeah i i would i would very much say that um my my life you know, in terms of what it's gone through, it's, it can, it can be relatable to others, but you know, how we each individually process our life from when we are children to when we we're adults dramatically changes in terms of our perspective. Cause like as a kid, if you see, you know, something happening, it's like, oh, well, that's just happening. But then years later, something, ha- you know, something w- makes you remember that thing and it's different because you've learned so much. Mm-hmm you know i like there there's obviously going to be a difference in like say you know 9-11 for example you know tragic event. a lot of people you know that remember it were in their like you know teens or in elementary school but like people my age were like three or four who barely remember that Mm -hmm. and there is a context you know that's missing with newer generations that's that influences the society that they live in when they are my age at currently, and that whole you know, environments, uh, the political environments, or even just environments in general influence the context of a human being, all the time. Do you find and that's th- part of psychology?
0: Yeah. Well, do you find yourself fantasizing about some of these like cultural tragedies and things?
2: No, I I I honestly don't want to I really don't want to wish the worst ever Mm -hmm. like it's just it's just not something I would like ever you know I don't want to see billions of people die or millions of people be atomized or uh, hunger strikes or even what's happening now with Australia with you know all the fires right I don't want to see that Mm -hmm. no Uh one likes to see that but sometimes you know when it comes to filmmaking you know, it puts a mirror up to our own faces and says, hey, you know, we, we got to kind of figure things out now. We got to mm-hmm. put our shit together, stop didd- diddly-daddling and just you know, try to fix these things because we don't want to have these tragedies happen. In
0: the the screenplay for today's um, discussion, A Day in the End, we are dealing with an environment that is kind of in the wake of some yeah. massive tragedy cataclysmic you know, disaster right there's not enough air yeah for example what inspired this environment then
2: well um i just so as i was saying before the last historian was uh, was a challenge piece offered to me by one of my friends who said hey i dare you to write something post-apocalyptic and i kept thinking to myself what are the most common ways you know, post-apocalyptic movies always portray themselves. Well, you have a lack of resources is one thing. Mm-hmm. But you rarely ever have one that affects, like, the lungs, for example. I mean, unless it's, like, a bacterial thing or a zombie thing. Um, so I wanted to make it unique. Um, and more personally. you know, I've, I still live with asthma. I lived with asthma all my life. And there's always been a case where, you know, like, when I was seven, for example, I would run out of just breathable oxygen. And it left me in the hospital for days on end. And so, you know, I thought to myself, you know, in retrospect, because I didn't notice it at first. But in retrospect, I'm like, wow, I did really write this because of my background. Because yeah. that's terrifying for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a terrifying concept. Man.
1: Yeah. I, it's, you know, I, I'm flashing back to... Uh, this is so dorky of me, but, you know, it, Batman begins when Bruce Wayne is first starting to figure out what he wants to do with his life, and he knows that bats scare him, so he's going to use this thing to scare other people. The idea that running out of air is a very real fear for you on some level, and let's take that and apply it, and so other people can understand that level of fear. It's, it's, you're talking about the human condition and, and the human spirit and a way of connecting on a human level. This is you telling a story that you can really relate to and presenting it in a way that maybe other people can also
0: yeah that's crazy, yeah so um you know you're talking about how there's not a lot of like end of end of day stories that deal with the lungs and with the breath. I wonder if that's just a very practical thing, like it would be do you think it would be more challenging to produce something where the actors had to pretend like they're always out of breath or something? Yeah, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, if bird box can be made, then mm. I don't know.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, we keep talking about uh, some little detaily parts of the script uh, a day in the end, but we probably ought to uh, jump into it. Yes, yeah? So, yeah,
0: let's read it because um, listeners today, since this is kind of an end of end of day's story, there's not tons of uh, character interaction and dialogue. So we're actually going to start from the top, and Jack's going to read action headings, setting up the scene for the first three pages. And I'll be reading a couple of little bits from Eliza, the main character.
1: Yeah, so we're just going to take this from the top. Nicholas, uh, just hang on. We're going to let the audience uh, hear the words that you've written down. We'll be right back with you.
0: All right. Okay.
1: Yeah, this is going to be a lot of me, folks, so strap in. So yay. Get ready.
0: We can make it frank... I mean, no, I want to do, do think, it. Frank, you want to jump in on it? I this? got this. It's fine. It's
1: fine. I got this. It, not that Frank's incapable, but I got this. This is what we're doing here. This is how the show works. Uh-huh. All right, here we go. Exterior, small campsite day. The woods seem calm. Blissful, devoid of mechanical noise, we see Eliza, age 40. Eliza wears a sash belt with a machete at her hip, a battered backpack. A respirator helmet sits on her head. On her wrist is an oxygen meter, detailing the amount of oxygen left in the helmet. As she's packing up the camp, a small rapid beep erupts from her oxygen meter, informing Eliza that she only has a single day's worth of oxygen left. Eliza doesn't look too surprised by this, just a bit annoyed, and continues to pack the camp. As she leaves the camp, high in the trees, an object moves to follow Eliza.
0: June 16, 2042. I finally made it back to where it all began. Good old bend. I'm uncertain if I can find anyone. Everywhere I've been to, between here and Missouri, has been empty of all human life
1: exterior us route 20 day eliza walks down the highway she comes across a newspaper on the side of the road it reads we are too late oxygen levels down to 30 percent after recent fires world prepares for the end she shudders in avoidance and continues walking in the distance she sees a sign eliza gets to the sign and it says bend five miles She looks past the sign to see another sign with the hospital logo saying, first exit. As Eliza continues to the exit, a whirling sound is heard from behind her. Eliza turns back to look and finds an empty road. Exterior, St. Charles Hospital, day. The hospital is deserted, windows broken, and scorch marks on the edge of the building. Eliza approaches the front door, the glass of the old sliding doors of the emergency room Blanket the floor. Eliza steps inside. Interior, hospital hallway day. Eliza walks around looking for a hospital map. She walks around for a while before coming across that map. Eliza scans the floors for a supply room. She finds the supply room is in the basement. Knowledge in hand, she makes her way to the nearest staircase interior hospital basement day the door to the basement slams open with eliza turning her helmet lights on she makes it to the supply room and finds it's locked she sits in exhaustion in front of the door eliza looks around for anything to help her with the door looking to her left she sees an emergency box cut to interior supply room day the sound of the axe cracks the door the sound reverberating in the room the axe finally breaks down the door Eliza stands for a moment to catch her breath. She looks around to see a ton of medical supplies, suture equipment, IV drips, etc., organized on the shelves. Eliza goes toward the back of the room to find ten oxygen tanks. She approaches the one closest to the left of the room. The gauge reads it's one-fourth capacity. Going down the line, the second through the fifth canisters are less than a fourth too empty. The sixth canister is slightly over a fourth. The seventh and eighth are fully empty. The ninth, though, is half full, and the tenth is three-fourths full. Taking out a nozzle from her oxygen pack, she hooks it up to the first oxygen canister and sucks it dry. Interior hospital basement day. Samantha exits the supply room and looks at her oxygen meter, now reading one week remaining. Interior hospital hallway day. Eliza walks out of the stairway, making her way toward the exit. In the hall in front of her, some metallic equipment falls on the ground, which causes a wheelchair to cross the hall. Eliza grabs her machete. Who's there? Eliza makes her way toward the source of the trouble. She gets to the corner and prepares to slash at whatever's on the other side. Eliza takes a breath and jumps out, finding there is nothing there. Eliza takes out her life sign reader, a small rectangular device. It reads, Life Signs, One. She breathes a sigh of relief. Exterior, Monroe Street, Day. The rows of houses, while looking abandoned on the outside, the grasses are standing tall. Eliza turns the corner of Monroe Street. She pauses. This place looks very familiar to her. She walks down the street, visions of her old life transposed over the neighborhood. Kids playing in some of the yards. Kids playing in water sprinklers. Exterior, Samantha's house, day. Eliza approaches a faded blue house. In the yard, on the ground, lays teen Samantha and teen Eliza, both smiling as they look toward the sky, holding hands. When Eliza makes it to the curb, the vision dissolves to reveal the house, looking more like the other houses. Eliza pauses as her heartbeat beats loud. After a pause, she walks toward the door. Interior, Samantha's house, day. The light of the outside world shines through like a heavenly beam. The house is cold. Dust is layered and still. On the walls is dried, splattered blood. Broken frames of beautiful photographs line the wall. A torn and bloodied teddy bear lays on the floor. She looks around and begins to notice some familiar things, looking first to the teddy bear on the floor and then to the photo on the wall. Eliza walks with hesitancy toward the frame, afraid of what answer it has for her silent question. She looks at the title of the picture, A Flourish of Life by Samantha Rothman. Eliza's eyes begin to tremble. Eliza takes out her life sign reader. She inputs some numbers and on the screen appears the words, Life Signs 2. Her eyes widen as she makes her way to the stairs. Interior stairway day, Eliza runs up the stairs. At the top of the stairs, Eliza opens a door to a bedroom and a rat comes out of the room, spooking Eliza. She stands frozen as she turns her attention to the room. After a beat, Eliza walks in. Interior Samantha's bedroom day. The walls have scratch marks like those of a bear. Blood has long since dried in the room. Eliza walks around the bed slowly. When she gets to the other side, she collapses, her eyes full of tears, her face in pain. We don't get to see the body she is looking at, only that Eliza grabs a necklace out of her breast pocket and she crawls forward and grabs a necklace off the body. Eliza puts the two halves together. The necklace reveals the message, love is a summer breeze. Eliza puts the necklace in her fist as she cradles it, mourning the loss of her friend. End scene.
0: So beautiful.
1: Yeah, so uh, just tragic and uh, beautiful. And there's, there's... Nicholas, you got a lot going on in that start. What kind of headspace do you have to be in to, to start a story the way that you specifically did with this script?
2: Well, um, as we were saying with the fact that I was in a small town, um, you know, I, I never really had a lot of friends growing up. I did have some, but for the past couple of years, I've always felt kind of isolated a lot of the times. And that's mostly because I don't get out much, to be honest. Um, But I just kind of when it came to the to the discussion in my head about how to write it, I said, what would be the most interesting thing? Well, what if we only followed one last person on Earth? Like this is the last story ever told. What will be the last story humanity ever says? Right. And, um, you know, it's kind of a negative headspace. I'll be honest. It's not healthy. So if you're look if you're looking to try to write something like this, you got to have a good therapist. <laughs> you got to have a very good th- therapist to think of all this stuff. But, um, you know, that's that's just what what happened. There. Yeah,
0: traipsing around in your head in this space for a while might might raise some interesting questions. Yeah,
1: don't operate you. heavy machinery.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, so we so do you have an idea of what happened to the world then in this story? I know earlier we were talking about an epidemic affecting things, and there was
1: fires. There's a reference yeah, to fires, fires on the newspaper. Yeah, fires going
0: on, and the world's preparing for the end of the days. How how long has it been since the world just went to hell in a handbag? Here,
2: um, I think I wrote it down. I think it was like thirteen or thirteen to fifteen years.
0: Oh man. It's been. yeah, well, that's so fascinating too, because I didn't notice this the first time around, but I noticed at this time that our main character's 40. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's common. I don't know if we've ever had, well, this is not true. I'm sure we've had on the show, but we don't frequently have main female characters who are 40 wow. years old. So this person was a younger woman 20 you know 15 years ago. Yeah. Now now she's traipsing across the country, a little bit more um, used to everything that's going on here yeah how do you imagine her what's the inspiration for eliza yeah
2: i honestly never really had an inspiration for eliza i just thought why not have a 40 year old woman because i've never really seen like in any sort of post-apocalyptic movie like it like someone who is old and weathered actually surviving all this stuff because right. it's usually like you know, oh, we got to save the kids, save the younger kids from the zombies or from the marauders or all this stuff. But I just thought, you know, why not? Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Do you have any strong, powerful, weathered women in your own life?
2: Um, I could. My mom, I, I want to say mm-hmm. I'm not too I'm not I'm still not too certain on that. But it, it, we have complicated feelings towards each other. We're, uh, we're you know, I, I've lived in <laughs> I lived with my grandparents, my mom, and my and my sister for a long time. Mm-hmm. And you know, because we're in in with each other all the time, you know, there, there's a lot of tension, angry tension. Yeah, yeah. Sure. But but she has weathered a lot. Um, when my dad died when I was ten, it was not easy for any of us. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, when it comes to her, she had the power through not just you know, me and my sister's BS, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, with dealing with the traumatic effects of that, but also having to keep a level head and try to find a way forward mm-hmm. all the time. And even nowadays, you know, whenever me or now my brother, you know, cause my sister's transitioning, um, mm. you know, where um, uh, she would, uh, my mom would always try to find some sort of positive thing to say, some sort of thing to keep moving forward. And one of the keys I do want to develop further with the character of Eliza, you know, you know, you have this environment that is devoid of human life, devoid of anything. And many of us would like to think of like, you know, the post apocalypse is like being this tragic thing. And yes, it is tragic, but you know, for Eliza, how she keeps moving forward is part of the character piece. You know, it's, it's writing in her journal every day. It's, trying to find something new that she hasn't seen before and trying to live long enough to do it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and by the end of the script, she has some purpose and I'm not going to give away what it is, but you know.
0: Yes. So even if maybe your mother wasn't a direct inspiration for the character of Eliza, her fortitude that you've witnessed her, you know, what her human spirit had, how her human spirit has developed over the years. it, It definitely sounds like it's played an influence in this female character. Yeah, um, it has. You know, there was something else that was really interesting when when uh, Eliza gets to to find Samantha in the house. There's claw marks on the walls. You know that brings up questions of like, was there some kind of animal attacks? Yeah. You know, it's. I'm not even. I'm not trying to go as far as zombies, but it it could play here, and I I just wonder why the claw marks came into to the story and the picture.
1: And whether or not it's tied to that thing that's in the trees in the
0: very beginning. Right.
2: Um, well, when it comes to the actual cause of the apocalypse, it's a lot of different factors. It's it's a lot. I didn't want it to just be one thing because then it's like, you know, everyone has this sort of thing where it's like, oh, we got to blame one thing. We have to blame this thing for the for the downfall of something. Mm-hmm. When in fact, in reality, it's a complicated mess of everything. And, you know, in this world, and it's something I'm building up more and more as I'm continuing to write this script, uh, because there is, you know, secondary scripts for this. But um, more and more, you know, the main theme of it is negligence and the downfall of everything due to that. Due to the negligence of, say, governments or how, you know, politicians don't listen to people in general, it's led to this environmental crisis. It's led to all this stuff. And, you know, a lot of the things you can infer that maybe, you know, it's not explicitly, you know, stated in the scripts, but maybe, you know, there is this political group that's like, oh, we're going to release all the animals now, now that the world's ending, we're going to, you know, there's even like, um, you know, something that happened. there is something that happens um, in one of the stories I'm developing for this later on. Where Eliza walks past a whole group of you know bodies laying down with plastic bags over their heads with a hole through them, and you know it's it, that that part's kind of an allusion to you know cults, yeah. death cults that happen in, in crisis. Mm-hmm. Like um, when I, my mom told me that when I was born, March twenty third, nineteen ninety seven, uh, that there was like this um, heaven's gate cult, yeah, in California. And it was, you know, it it influences from that in in terms of influence. Um, What a day to be born. Yeah. Yeah, what a day
1: to be born! Yeah, <laughs> uh, Nicholas, you the way you describe a lot of these environments that Eliza's walking through. I think are really interesting, and I'm curious how how visual you are when you're when you're writing this stuff. Are you sort of picturing these things? Because I feel like there's there's absolutely a, a very stark bleakness to this story and this 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 world that you've created. But I think also if you're talking about you know production and filming and whatnot, there's potentially an opportunity as Eliza is. Walking through the world and down these highways and in the woods or whatever, there's maybe an opportunity for some some beauty also, right? Mm-hmm, is that, are mm-hmm. you, is that yeah. stuff that's in your head as you're writing
2: it? Yeah, that that was actually the intended purpose of of that. Um, I do I wanted to envision a world where you know it is post humanity. Yeah, this is essentially the the mm-hmm. very end of humanity, and I wanted it to have this sort of you know symbolic visual meaning that just because our story is over that, you know, life in general doesn't necessarily mean life in general is over, you know, there's still life even after us. And it kind of brings a little bit of comfort into my life. I'm not very religious, not a religious person, but I do know that, you know, if I do see that life does continue after me, that's, you know, that's something that's a little bit comforting at the end of the day.
1: Uh, I feel like there's also a really interesting opportunity with the way this script starts, specifically in the woods, and everything is calm, and there's there's almost no maybe traditional mechanical noise like you say in the script, and there's this woman who's packing up her campsite and getting ready to go. I, I always in in cold opens like this where it's you're just sort of dropped into the deep end of the environment. I think that's also a really interesting opportunity. Uh, again, when it gets into production and whatnot for the role that music or a lack of music and sound or a lack of sound would play are are thoughts like that in your head as you've written this also?
2: Yeah. Like, uh, I'm not just like a screenwriter. I'm, I'm a filmmaker as well. And you know, when I, when I look at a script like this, I do imagine how I would want to visualize it or even just add sound to it. You know, there's there's been a lot of pretty good movies out there that have utilized sound to emphasize, you know, just character beats or even just the environment itself. You know, a classic case recently, you know, Quiet Place, Quiet Place, Sound Mixing. Yeah. A Quiet Place. Yep. You know, emph- emphasize the importance of the sound mixing and sound editing. Uh, and even a film like um, The Sound of Silence, which you can find on Hulu, that one's just about a person who is a room tuner. Um, which is such a weird job to have, by the way. Just like, oh, here your room is a C C sharp. You gotta put it down to B to reduce your stress levels or something like that. I Hmm. have I have no idea how that life works, but (laughs) you know, that that's also a film that emphasizes the importance of pitches and tones in a given room. That's fascinating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right, so
1: you, you've talked about how, I mean, we've got the seven pages here and you've worked on some other stories that are either sort of ancillary to this or maybe, you know, as you're planning things out. What is the what is the ultimate goal uh, with this uh, piece that you've sent us?
2: Uh, the, the ultimate goal really is to try to find some way to, to fund making it or at least maybe to, you know, get some interest generated into it. I feel like
0: cause... interest could be there for sure, but this is definitely not a, you know, a, a paper bag sack lunch type of production. Mm. Hospitals, things broken in into um, all kinds of new tech, etc.
2: Right. I mean, it could it could be animated like I, I've, I've never really been one of those like, oh, you have to do it animator. You have to do it. You know, there's certain stories that I'm working on that would require animation. But this one, I do feel like it should be live action. In terms of the production value, yeah, and I also agree. You know, it's going to be a very costly, um, you know, seven pages of of script. But
0: well, I love how um, I have written down that it, it, it kind of it um, it extends over a few genres. You know, based on what we have, I can't tell if it's sci fi, action, adventure, some kind of international futuristic uh-huh. thing because we have this little flip at the end where
1: with oh, the heads up display coming out, she's like continuing this journey. She's yeah. about to be, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, it, it just feels like this really big, gorgeous story. And I love that at the, you know, at the end of it, I'm not sure what it is or where it's going and how it's going to be moving that way.
1: Yeah. That's interesting.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, it, the, the initial intent was, you know, I, I look at so many of my other filmmaker friends and people I admire, like Damien Chazelle or, um, Jim Cummings, uh, who both did like short films for their feature films. And I guess one of my main goals is maybe to like get a short out. And if there's enough interest, I can finish the entirety of the story because the, the script does end with something that, you know, is clearly her end game. Her end goal is to get to this place, um, of where she's going. Do you
0: have the larger story mapped out in your head? Not
2: quite. Mm-hmm. There's a couple, I still got to develop, you know, the se- a, little, a little bit more of the second act, but I got the third act pretty much kind of mapped. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe, you know, over time as I develop the second act, there will be maybe some changes to the third.
0: Right. Just how everything affects itself. Yeah. Um, well, if somebody is looking to get into a really intriguing project like this one, what is the best way for somebody to be in touch with you?
2: Uh, The best way to be in touch with me is uh, Twitter. Um, My Twitter handle is at NickJennings2K9 or my Gmail at Spiritman, S-P-I-R-I-T-M-A-N, 2015 at gmail.com.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, that's great. Well, I've really enjoyed talking with you about this. Um, diving into this world, just the, the little teeny, teeny, teeny bit we we've been able to, and I hope that you continue to write this, and when you do, to send it back our way because I'd love to read how it all works itself out.
1: Yeah, keep us in the loop, man. We'd love it.
0: All right. Yeah, I'll be I'll be sure to do that.
1: Thanks, Nicholas, very much.
0: All right. You know, there's so much in this seven page. Again, like we didn't even talk about the relationship between Eliza and Samantha, and what all that right. is. You know, because it almost feels like it could be friend or romantic, or mother-daughter mm-hmm. in some ways. And so trying to figure out where that relationship comes from from for him would have been interesting, too. Yeah,
1: well, we simply ran out of time. But if you were out there and you can maybe find Nicholas on uh, Twitter and whatnot, you could, uh, after you've read Ask the script and you've listened to the show, you can you can find out and learn more. That's uh, We like being able to connect people uh, when they do have questions with our writers. And That's that right. That's
0: the beauty of having the scripts available on the site, scriptshopshow.com slash scripts. Is that a actual URL? That, that is our
1: actual URL. Does that works. Frank, cool. that's right, right? Sweet that's correct <laughs> <laughs> and just give Frank a bell and just have him ding it ding. when we get it right we we'll always
0: do something good <laughs> exactly. and then you could connect with the writers on Facebook Instagram or Twitter because a lot of times we're tagging them in the posts we do so if you Absolutely. have follow-up questions to the screenplays you read get on there and ask them these questions so they can really dive into the world with you
1: and folks if you've written something yourself if there's a, a piece that you've written that's uh, bleak and beautiful or mm-hmm. uh, silly and fun but still a way that is a way of you trying to connect with other people that's the whole point of what we're doing and we would love to read it and you you can uh, have us read it by sending it into scriptshopshow.com slash submit. That's
0: right. And um, let's see. We talked about the internet. Submit your things. How much we love this script. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. <laughs> We're doing great. We're doing so good today. Doing
1: really good in 2020.
0: <laughs> All right, friends. Until next week, that's a wrap.
1: Script Shop was created by Allison West.